and I have gotten my signal, and so we are about our usual business. Before we start, uh, oh, I have to go here. Is it seeing me? While I'm at it, uh, we have a package that came from Japan, and someone in Japan, and I want the gentleman to know, I assume it's a gentleman, it may not be. In fact, why would I assume it's a gentleman? I have no idea. It's initials. Could easily be uh, uh, not a gentleman. But uh, just for, so you know, who uh, first name is R, or initials are R J, and they're from Tokyo. And they have sent me a package. And I know you all think that it could be donuts. It, it is not. It is pins for the dry erase board. And the note uh, essentially is saying that uh, we are not good at this. <laughs> no, it's not. That, that's my inference. And refills. So we have very cool things uh, from RJ. And RJ, I'm now handing your uh, notice to Supper Dave, and uh, he will take care of that, I hope. And thank you very much. For the pens. We will use them today if I can operate them. Here we go. Are they better than our models? Uh, most assuredly they are. So this is somebody clearly who is watching us on the internet and has decided that we need uh, improved equipment. So thank you very much. And all you folks out there that are watching uh, on, on YouTube, uh, it's been a delight to hear from you. And I hope that uh, it'll actually be more fruitful or continue to be fruitful, whichever is the case. Okay. Now we're off. May the 1st, 2016, lecture discussion number 239 on the book of Romans, and yes, we're still at Acts 5. Our one-week diversion, at least that's what I thought. I'd divert for one week. Uh, it's taken much more than I had anticipated, mostly because the subject so requires, and my approaches inherently carry and fractious tendencies, which is a charitable way of saying convoluted. In this case, habits as opposed to anfractious tendencies. Obviously, if I could pick something to, to describe myself, I would not pick habits. I would pick inclinations instead of addictions and meanderous instead of torturous. But I have to concede that the case can be made otherwise. And we are demonstrating that in Acts 5, and I accept the blame for it, if you were wondering, if anyone remained on the fence. Anyway, we have just a few loose ends, I think. Is the device broken? Battery was dead. Okay. This is our redundancy for you of you on the Internet, just in case we have typical failure, which is, as I just mentioned, typical. Okay, we got a few loose ends. There is light ahead. We're near the end. Uh, I should tell you relative terms, right? Few and near. But we are getting closer. Maybe next week I can put this into its final thoughts or its death throes and we can get back to the man who is uh, uh, gathering wood on the Sabbath. Now let's begin today by taking another run at the typical positionings of the explanations of Acts 5, the instant deaths of Ananias and Sapphira. So what is the consensus? Well, the overwhelming, if you will, consensus, as you know, is that God physically killed Ananias and Sapphira because of a deceptive act and or a pretense with respect to the gift of money from sold land. And you'll find the noun hypocrite assigned to Ananias often in most analyses of Acts 5. So let's put that on the board with our new pen from Japan. Does it get any better than new pens from Japan? I don't think it does. Somebody gave me a Diet Coke from Mexico, by the way. Not the same. Be alert to that in case you get that in the mail. Uh, I don't think it would have survived the transport. But to my point is, is that you have essentially two positions. One, that Ananias and Sapphira uh, were deceptive, uh, fraudulent, 
um, pretense, pretentious, but mostly pretense, if you will, and hypocrisy. They were hypocrites. Hypocrisy. Hypocrites. Let's just go with this. There we go. So that's the, that would be option one, if you will, or choice number one. Immediate death as a result of some kind of fraudulent intent. And you will discover this to be the conventional teaching, the traditional view. And again, it dominates, absolutely dominates without any contest. No matter where you go, this is the one that you will find first and foremost. Choice number two, however, proposes that the instant deaths of Ananias and Sapphira are exceedingly, the con- or, I'm sorry, are the consequence of something exceedingly more so sinister. In other words, I have this, and over here I have premeditation. And sinister, or if you will, wickedness, evil, profound, so. And the wickedness of Ananias and Sapphira is many-faceted, including a wide range of purpose or purposes. But primarily it stems from what occurred in the shaken room. So all of this is built upon, if you will, the shaken room. We have a shaken room, and out of that shaken room ultimately comes uh, this event that includes Ananias and Sapphira, but is not limited to them. There are many, many involved in Acts 5, not just Ananias and Sapphira. I'll make that case again. Now, in the shaken room, of course, I have a bunch of stuff going on. I have boldness. Already, I have uh, broken my new pen. No, I haven't. I just dismembered it for a moment. I have boldness. That is not to be, be gone by quickly. Pay attention to that. I have the evidences of the resurrection Of God. Jesus God. And I have our God resurrecting himself. could be just as appropriate. And that is coupled in separately with the doctrine of salvation by grace alone. By grace only. So... God giving himself, God resurrected himself. And this is what causes Barnabas, option two, a Levite, the Levite, to hurriedly conform to Numbers 18.20. If you've been here the last few weeks, you know that Numbers 18.20 is God's unequivocal prohibition of Levites owning land in Israel. Levites are not to own land in Israel. Levites were forbidden by God himself from owning any promised land. Can't do it. Numbers 18.20, Deuteronomy 10.9. So we'll put them in here. So those are your choices. Them's your choices, if you will. Option two presents this as the foundation upon which the instantaneous deaths of Ananias and Sapphira reside, as well as the greatly significant details that are also part of all of that, the lie of Satan and the testing of God. So again, those are your choices. The issues to be dissolved is that God himself struck these two at the precise time that it was necessary. Notice how I phrase that. God struck these two people dead at the precise time. Why did he do this and when did he do this ultimately becomes the questions we're going to ask or answer. Why did he have no other alternative might be said at this time? You realize that what I said, why did he have no other alternative is doctrinally unsound, right? Do you understand that? As long as everyone knows that I know that you know that the omniscience of God is in authority, then I can say things that are seemingly contradictory. On that note, 
does God have free will? No, certainly he does. He's also omniscient. That means that he thinks faster than time. Go ahead and consider that while I keep going here. God struck down Ananias at the exact moment it was necessary. That's a human, humanistic way of approaching it. So as long as you understand that, we'll be okay. We can talk that way as long as we all know. Likewise, he with Sapphira, struck them both down at the exact moment it was required. All that we need to determine then is why was the time that he did it the definitive time? In other words, they're trying to determine the time of their deaths. When did they die? That's very important in my view. I hope you will agree. What had happened prior to the point of death that brings their death would be another way to approach it. If that makes sense. Now let's try another tract here. Would you agree that tithing is worship? Because this side over here looks at tithing as part of the equation. What is tithing? Again, would you agree that tithing is a form of worship? So, if you agree with that, then what have you, what have you done if you're over here in option or choice number one? You've decided that God kills who? God is killing his worshipers. Which is a bad place to be. I make the joke all the time. If this was, if he was killed over tithing, there'd be no one alive in this church. That's a joke. Please, please. There wouldn't be anybody alive in any church, okay? I didn't need to be specific. I just tried to be. So I didn't insult and drive away more people in the Internet, as I have been accused of doing over and over and over again. And it is not just an accusation. It is now becoming a definable fact. But does God kill his worshipers? Were these just a couple of misguided people that wanted to keep a couple of bucks in their pocket? And God strikes them dead. Or are they premeditated? Are they part of a plot? Are they part of a uh, uh, an intense committee meeting, for lack of a better point? Is there more people involved in this besides them? Are they sinister? Are they wicked? Are they evil? Has it, does it have something to do with the shaken room? The boldness of the apostles, uh, whatever that means. We'll get to that in a minute. Does it have something to do with the evidences of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Because that's what's going on in the shaken room. They're coming out with evidences of Christ's resurrection. They had done it prior to this, by the way, if you read the entire context of Acts. Is it got something to do with salvation by grace only or the great grace? As we discussed previous weeks, tithing is a manifestation of the knowledge of a spiritual principle. In other words, you tithe because you understand something. And, and uh, unfortunately, that's being lost today. It's from Genesis 14.9, ultimately, and Acts 4.32, as we've discussed previously. Let me just read Acts 4.32. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul, neither did anyone say that the things he possessed were his own, but they all, but they had all things, and the word is not common. Your, your translation might say in common, which really delights the communists, right? They always quote Acts 4.32 to try to prove that Christianity has some communism in it which, of course, it does not. Communism is a death cult. It's atheistic. It just goes around murdering its own subjects by the millions and millions. And it destroys the incentive, and it destroys the free will. God has no interest in destroying free will. So it doesn't mean they had all things in common. What it means is, let me repeat it this way. Neither did anyone say that the things he possessed were his own, but they had all things ordinary. So the word is actually ordinary. 
as opposed to this is where I stare at the audience expect, with expectations. I told my brother, by the way, those of you on the internet, my brother left me something reasonably funny for him. Uh, but uh, apparently he watched me on tube face, wherever we are. And I stare expectations. I, I have expectations of the audience and I stare and some manner that demonstrates that, um, I have to watch myself more. Ordinary as opposed to or in contrast to or in comparison with extraordinary, right. Boy, is my new pen cool. Yes, we all agree. We have ordinary things contrasted with exceptional things. I'm going to say ordinary things in, con- in contrast with unimaginable things. This is an understanding of the physical and the spiritual. Ordinary matter examined alongside of spiritual living souls, or if you will, physical properties and mental properties. So all of them recognize that everything they possessed was what? Ordinary. Or if you will, common. If you understand that it means ordinary. Or it means not very significant. Already I love my new pen from Japan. But it's ordinary. It doesn't have any value comparatively to something that is a living soul. Living souls are awesome. He describes them as awesomely made. They're unimaginable in their value. And the people that, that, that witnessed what was going on in this room and heard this boldness, the room was shaken. These apostles had... Boldness. Now, they had gotten boldness before. Now, they've gotten more boldness. Now, we're going to talk about what that means. They began to give more evidences, more incredible evidences of the resurrection of God, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Christ resurrecting himself, and more evidences that salvation is by grace and grace alone, God giving himself. That is what Ananias and Sapphira are involved in if you will, responding to. And all of the people there recognized immediately that physical things, property, if you wish to go that far, whatever you think you own, your car, those things are ordinary. And they are so far away from the extraordinary, the spiritual things, that there really isn't any comparison at all. One is essentially... uh, Nothing. The other is everything. What do we focus on in our world today? The ordinary. Knowing the difference between temporal and eternal is what was happening. Everyone came out of that room with an understanding of the eternal. And this is why the evidences of the resurrection of God is adjacent to verse 32, 532. And this is why Acts 5.33 contains, rightly as it should, the reason the multitude began to divest of their ordinary things. They realized they were ordinary. They ultimately have no value. God wishes for us to be spiritually minded. And when you tithe you are indicating that you understand the difference between the ordinary and the extraordinary. Does he ask you to divest everything you have? No. Do you have anything? No. Does he ask you to divest everything you don't have? No. Does that make sense? If it does, you're thinking like me. But he doesn't ask you that. What does he ask for? He asks for a percentage. Very small, ultimately. So that you understand the ordinary and the extraordinary, or the spiritual and the material. That's the reason the multitude began to do what they did, is because they began to focus on their eternal 
living and the, and the witness of the resurrection of Christ, Jesus Christ resurrecting himself. Now, after, I'm sorry, Acts 4.32 is uh, after Acts 4.31. I know, you're, you're, you're saying, where else can you get this level of teaching? You're going, this is amazing. This guy's really good. He, he put hours into this. <laughs> if, anyway, notice what causes, if you wish, Acts 4.32. They spoke the word of God with boldness. This boldness about the resurrection of Christ and salvation by grace alone causes this understanding of the ordinary. Cause and effect. Boldness. They spoke the word of God with boldness. So what do we need to do now? We need to have an accurate definition of this. Chances are we don't. I would like you to consider the possibility that you have no idea what it means to speak the word with boldness. It has nothing to do right off the bat with loudness. It has nothing to do with, uh, with uh, being aggressive in any way. Remember the character of God. The character of God is that he is not a clanging bell. He is the still. He's the deep. He's the quiet. So boldness to him, he, as he defines it, becomes important to us. If we return to Acts 4, 1 through 4, We see that we have a, excuse me, obviously I have simultaneously a crying baby and a coughing fit. I should interject here to those who are concerned about my clumsiness. Yes, once again I fell off of something and about broke my right leg. I would show you, but it's horrifying. Not just the injury, but my right leg. I have got to come up with a new plan and get out of the construction business before I cut all my appendages off or whatever I'm going to do. I tell the story of Bill and Bill the Fast and I going up ladders with a beam. Did your, does Bonnie and Felicia, uh, Troy didn't know about this, Bill. Bill and I are carrying a, I think it was a six and three quarter by, by 15 glue lamp beam a couple of step ladders, and I'm about to set it in the saddle. That's a very heavy beam, 300 pounders, 15, 18 feet long. It was perfectly cut, and so we had one shot at it. And yes, your dad, oh, oh, and yes, yeah, you would know this, wouldn't you? But uh, Bill at the time, what was that, four or five years ago, Bill? So you were 37, 38, something like that? Yeah. Maybe the reverse, I'm not sure, but... Uh, Anyway, he's going up with me. I'm his, I'm his stability. Ha. And so up we went, thinking what could possibly go wrong. And then I've got mine. I'm about to set it up in the saddle. And it's, like I said, going to 150 pounds minimum and, uh, on my side. And I look over and I see the soles of Bill's feet. I do not see Bill's head or his torso. I see his feet and the soles pointing straight up. And he is in a perfect diving position. And it happens really fast, of course. He's gone. I see his hands back here, and he is pointed. And he does. He hits his dive beautifully into the dirt. Fortunately, little Lorenzo is there, right? And he catches that beam before it pounds Bill into the ground. And that's when we said, we are not good with ladders anymore. But I have not listened to either one of us, and I have since fallen off of ladders and scaffolding and everything you can think of. And so I have blood in my leg. My right, right leg right now weighs about 120 pounds. And it is as purple as it can be. And uh, I'm going to fall down the steps. I've got to come up with a new plan. And so I bring all this up because of the crying baby. Just in case you thought I didn't know what I was talking about. Lori and I have decided that I'm, I am really good at scaring small children. Maybe we can make some money out of that. 
That and, that and cattle and horses. But anyway, i got to do something different. I, I can't do this much longer, and I recognize it. Okay. They spoke the word with boldness. So back to Acts 4, 1 through 4. We see the, this group of people becomes very important. So I'll make a place where I probably have. Yeah, I'll just make it so I don't have to bend over. We find a group at Acts 4, 1 through 4. We find Sadducees. And they are very important to this story. They're very important to understanding what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. We have the Levite priests at Acts 1 through 4. We have the high priest there. He's even identified. We have the captain of the temple police. He's there. So, when you start talking about who is involved in Acts 5, all those guys are involved in Acts 5. And they're greatly disturbed at Acts 4, 1 through 4. They are greatly disturbed because the apostles are giving evidences of the resurrection of Christ. And that has bothered them tremendously. Yes, sir. The high priest family is absolutely mentioned. You're getting ahead of me again. Okay. I have a whole family involved with this high priest. The Sadducees were famous for what? What do you know about Sadducees? What's that? They did not believe in the resurrection. Absolutely correct. The Sadducees denied the resurrection of the dead. They were adamant. It was the position that defined the Sadducees. They were certain that there was no resurrection. And they told everybody there was no resurrection. At Acts 5.17, we learn that the high priest is a Sadducee, as is his whole family. And by the way, this is exactly the view of our modern evolutionary philosophers, is it not? That there is no resurrection of the dead. And they relentlessly also insist that all that there is to life is a temporary, meaningless, hopeless state that ends in annihilation. That is the core belief of almost every academic in this country now and almost every uh, institution of higher learning that God would not consider higher or learning, by the way. I have to stop saying, by the way, by the way. Of course, this annihilation or extinguishing of your existence is called fatalism or fatalistic. Just note that for today, at least, that this kind of death cult thinking is very, very ancient. We find it with the Sadducees thousands of years ago. Ask the obvious question, when did fatalism originate? Why is it able to attract such a large number of converts? Is it a lie? It is a lie. Why are they lying? Okay, so you have that now. This collection of allies, the Sadducees, the temple police with the captain, the Levite priests, probably I have Pharisees mixed in. You have to know the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees outnumbered the Pharisees by a great deal. The Pharisees were mostly a sect of a very works-based system, as you know. But this collection of allies, they're, they're greatly disturbed, the Bible tells us, that the apostles are convincing a multitude of, on the resurrection of Christ. Sadducees cannot allow anyone to believe in any resurrection and again, the evolutionary monism that is prevalent today cannot allow anyone to believe in resurrection. Anybody that gets up and says you will be resurrected when you die will immediately get hate mail from the evolutionists. They try to stop you. You're mocked. You believe in the sky fairy, they say. 
So understand that the apostles are going around and they have convinced a huge amount of people of thousands and thousands and thousands. They have given evidences of the resurrection of Christ, that Christ is God and that Christ resurrected himself. That the Godhood, or the Godhead, if you will, is completely involved in it. And this is a tremendous message of hope. And the Sadducees are going to stop it. And it is a, because it is a direct refutation of Sadducean philosophy. So the temple police, led by the captain, where am I going with that? He comes out to arrest the apostles. And he does so. And they are eventually brought before the high priest and the rulers and the elders and the scribes, the Bible tells us in Acts 4. And, and it's at this hearing where Peter and John demonstrate boldness. So now we can learn what boldness means. Peter and John display something, a supernatural comprehension of the Old Testament. Peter is brilliant, as is John. And this boldness that they have stuns and amazes the priests. And it says so right there. They're marveling at it. All of the apostles are brilliant. Why are they brilliant now? Because the Holy Spirit made them brilliant. So I can't help but ask myself, what is the difference? And I try to imagine, these are, what was Peter? He was a fisherman. And how smart was he? He wants to build stuff for Moses and Elijah and Christ. He thinks they're all equal. He's got a sword. He's gotten people's ears off. Does he impress you with his brilliance, his comprehension, his intellect? So I imagine some comparison. I will pick no one in this congregation. But you can think of somebody. I would think, for example, just to be fun, just to get the hate mail, your average New York cab driver. All of a sudden goes from a remedial, if not an illiterate condition, to somebody who intellectually can stun the high priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadduceans, the elders, the rulers. He's extraordinary, this transformation. And the lame man is there. Let's put him on the list. Because he's got to be there, and it even identifies him as there. The lame man and the boldness become a, 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 a twosome, for lack of a better term, to explain it. The lame man was with Peter. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the high priests and the elders and the temple police and the scribes and the rulers, they could not deny the miracle of the lame man. And with this combination, because of the boldness about the evidences of the resurrection of, of Jesus and the lame man being healed, this combination is a great threat, Acts 4:12 through 22, to the Sadducean a hierarchy, uneducated, untrained men by all natural accounting are suddenly transformed into scholars possessing transcendent wisdom and knowledge. And they're accompanied by a fully restored, previously grievously injured or disfigured or deformed lame man who spent 40 years from birth that way. So that's my combination. He's incapacitated. And they know it because they go by him every day. He's in the temple. That's where he's brought. They have watched this incapacitated, disfigured man for 40 years. They knew him well. He's in their midst. He's in their temple. He's in their headquarters. Again, they couldn't deny it. 
Two things they couldn't deny. They couldn't deny the incredible wisdom and knowledge and intellect that the apostles had. They, they described them as uneducated and untrained, and yet these men were phenomenal to them. It was stunning. They marveled at it. Where did these guys come from? How did they get like this? And by the way, look who's with them. This guy, the lame man, 40 years, a mess. Look at him. Imagine what he looked like and how he functioned. Give yourself a before and after picture of him if you can. And by the way, there I said it again. I should buy myself a Diet Coke every time. I say, by the way, or maybe chicken, Kentucky Fried Chicken, or maybe Snickers bars. I like them too. Can we say impending diabetes? No. <laughs> anyway, try to imagine what this man was like, this lame man. They couldn't deny it. And how many people saw him and knew him? He's in the temple. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people knew what happened to him. And it says clearly they could not deny either of these things. All they could do is forbid the apostles from declaring that Jesus Christ resurrected himself. You can't do that anymore. They said, don't tell people that Jesus Christ resurrected himself. Don't even use his name. And certainly don't say that this is the only name by which men must be saved. And don't say salvation is by grace only. Don't say that. If you say it, you're going to be executed. That's all the high priest could do. Give them a severe threat. That's the synopsis. Now we can start the sermon. We probably should read some of this, huh? Acts 4. We'll go really fast. I know. I have to hurry. Like I said, every time I write this stuff, I start to think to myself, I'll be done today. And then I go, oh, man, I just can't leave this out. Okay, can't leave that out. Uh-oh, I've got to do this. And here we are again. Acts 4.12, we'll start here. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The Pharisees are, I'm sorry, the Sadducean high priest said, stop saying that. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, high priest and his group, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and realized that they had been with Jesus. What are they trying to say there? Somehow Jesus increased their intelligence. How did God do it? And Yeah, he's God. Felicia just looked at me. Of course, yeah. What are you, an idiot, she's saying back there? Uh. But I, what I'm saying to you, I guess, in, a, in an imprecise way, obviously, <laughs> is that these men changed dramatically. God fixed their mind and their brain. We used to say at Bartlett High School in my days and the Career Center and various places I taught here in Anchorage, I used to say, here's a dollar, fix your face. Just to kind of cheer up my, my students. They appreciated being ridiculed. Ask, ask Eric. Anyway, point of all of that is, is that their brains were fixed. Their minds were fixed. And it was obvious and noticeable. And the Pharisees, if you will, here, the high priest, Sadduceans, all these men marveled and they realized who did it to them. Christ did it to them. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, the lame man, they could say nothing against it. But when he had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves. So here is Peter and John come in and start talking to these guys. And it would be the equivalent to seeing uh, two of the greatest intellects in, in all of history come here and talk to us. And we can't even imagine the level they're at. I think the level was ridiculously high. When God fixes a machine, how good does he do it? And so they're going, what do we do with these guys? We can't deny what they have become. And they were with who? Jesus. And what are they talking about? 
Jesus is the only one that can save you, and he resurrected himself. We've got to stop him from saying that, oh no, there's a lame man. We all know the lame man. You can't deny this, right? Let's keep going. They could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do with these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all, to all who dwell in Jerusalem. How many is that? Lots of people. And we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. In other words, don't use the name of Christ. We've got to stop them. Yes, sir. How many? Yeah, yeah. There's estimates based on the, yeah, based on the cemetery. Grave sites and the size of the waste dumps and things like that. They're able to extrapolate out how many people were there, and it's in excess of 500,000, between 500,000 and 2 million. Dana is absolutely correct. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God you judge. Does that sound like a fisherman? For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, so imagine, they're, now they threaten them, now we're threatening them again. What are they going to do to them to stop them? What did they say? they got to stop them. They're destroying Sadducean philosophy. You know what they're going to try to do. They told them, you keep doing this, I'll take you out, baby. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God. The people were glorifying God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old in whom this miracle of healing had been performed. And being let go, they, who's they? The apostles and the lame man. They went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Okay? So there we are. There is so much there, but for today, for our limited purposes, just place the two major elements together. The exclusivity of the name of Christ. No other name by which man can be saved. That's an only. That's, again, Christianity is always always accused of, you, you people say you're the only way that you can be saved. Uh, the only way you can be saved is Jesus Christ. You say that all the time. What, what do I answer to that? Yes, you're right. And here it is again. No other name by which man can be saved, plus the knowledge and wisdom that the apostles now hold. The intellect, their, has, their intellect has exploded. Their minds are unparalleled. Uh, well beyond the priests, the elders, the scribes, the Sadducees, the temple police, and now plus the lame man, and then plus the resurrection of Christ. All of the evidence the apostles are revealing, how smart are these guys now? And they're revealing all of these evidences. They're arguing about the deity and the resurrection of Christ, plus the inseparable great grace that is always with the resurrection of Christ. So the Sadducees are under fierce attack. I hope you recognize that. Because, you see, this is... Exodus 16, isn't it? I'm going to erase a few things. Those on the internet can always go back and find it again. So I feel no more guilt about doing that. The Sadducees are being brutalized. And this is Exodus 16, 3 through 4 again, isn't it? Numbers 14.3, the nation of Israel accuses God of bringing them out of Egypt for the purposes of murdering them in the wilderness. That's what happened at Exodus 16.3-4. The 
Israel's, the Israelites said, God, you are bringing, you brought us out of Egypt for the sole purpose of murdering us. That's what you're doing. What is that? That, of course, is fatalism. We have more operator error with my new device. That is fantastic. We have now learned that Japanese people make much better markers than us. This thing's amazing. Never mind. Just had to check. I'm going to have to hide them, I know. They're going home with me. If you have the view that God has put you into the world, the Sadducees were accusing God of creating mankind in a temporal state that ends in cessation of existence. That's exactly what the Jews did in the wilderness. If you believe that God has made you just for a temporary period of time, and then he's going to kill you, he's going to ultimately, uh, you're going to die from the curse, you're going to die from an outside force, both of which are part of the curse, decay and outside force, he's going to let you die, and then he's going to leave you into non-existence or an annihilation. That also is fatalism. It's the exact same. The accusations are identical. If you say that God has no intention of resurrecting anyone, that all people are going to cease to exist, that is, what are you saying? As an Israelite, if you're saying that God has just brought you out of Egypt just to make you wander around and kill you all in the wilderness, By the way, did they die in the wilderness? Lots of them did, if not all but two. It was that, did God do that? Why did they die in the wilderness? As a result of what? Caused by what? Now you see where we're headed? I hope you do. Testing God is so defined by this in the sense that if you say that God has brought you into existence for a temporary state only to let you be extinguished forever, that is testing God. That's what he calls it. Exodus 16, 3 through 4 is the definitive explanation of testing God. So testing God is so defined by this. In the context of Numbers 14, 27, God declares this testing of him to be wicked. It's wicked to do this. This is what the Sadducees do. This is the foundation of their entire philosophy. It is wicked. This charge from Israel that he intends to murder his people. Can you see that, again, that this is the foundation. This is Sadducean teaching that there is no resurrection. If you say there is no resurrection... You say that God is evil. To test God on the basis of whether he's a cosmic sadist, a lying murderer. If you do that, that is profoundly vile. So the test at its essence then is a test to what? It's a test to the goodness of God. Is God good or not? If I demand that God submit to a test to determine his goodness, what have I done? I have begun with the the hypothesis. What have I done if I say, God, I got a test for you. You will submit to my test. What am I testing him for? Are you a murderer or not? What's the implication? I'm even having, the fact that I even have the test is what? Evil. I've begun with the hypothesis that he is evil. A finite person is accusing the infinite creator. Put it this way. Omniscience is being accused by not omniscience. Do you know everything? Please say no. Does God know everything? Please say yes. What are you thinking? What are we thinking? What is mankind thinking? What are the Sadduceans thinking? What were the Israelis in the wilderness thinking when they said, you're a murderer, God. You brought us out here for the sole purpose of killing us. They have, they do not possess omniscience. We'll get to that in another week, another week. Next week, I hope, in the death throes, in the finalities, in the, 
in the final thoughts on this. To put it another way, why do you find it necessary? Why does anyone find it necessary to put God's goodness to a test? Why do people test God for his goodness? What is their motive for doing so? Is it to verify that God is good? No, it is to prove that he is what? It is to prove that he is wicked. Again, in Numbers 14.27, God says, bringing a test of my goodness to me is wicked. So, we can conclude a few things from that. God calls it wicked, Numbers 14.27, to do this. Nums. First, Satan. Satan is constant. Unceasing. He is always testing God for goodness. Always testing. Why is he always testing? Does Satan know whether or not God is good? Why is he always testing God for goodness? Okay, so now we know that Acts 5 is attached to Satan's lie. Once again, operator error. Uh Uh-oh, it's forever lost. I'll never be able to get it. It's on the floor, and that's where it'll stay. We know that Satan's lie is Genesis 3-4. So we know Acts 5 is involved with Satan's lie. And that, of course, is that you will not surely die. Will not surely die. That's his lie. We will not surely die has a greater meaning. This has a greater meaning than physical death. It includes, I will be like God. Knowing good from evil. Be like God. Knowing good from evil. If you will not surely die doesn't mean physical death. What does it mean? What does it mean to know good from evil? Ananias' offering was evil. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't a tithing error. He didn't fill out the checkbook improperly, mistakenly, the wrong number on his offering. Ananias, evil. Cain's offering. Cain's offering was a statement about the goodness of God and about early die. How is it that the fact that Cain's offering rejected has implication to the goodness of God and the test that Israel had? The fact that Levites were owning land in Israel What is that? That's evil. Specifically prohibited. Owning land in Israel by a Levite is also a statement about the goodness of God. It implies that God is not sinless. Evil is sinfulness. Goodness is sinlessness. And again, Isaiah 14.14 is in here somewhere. That is where Satan says, I will be like God. Okay? Got to hurry now. Got to move. Ananias 
dies immediately at the precise time after he is told that he has lied directly to God. As soon as he's told he's lied directly to God, instant death. Was Ananias a Sadducee? Then the captain and the temple police wrap, carry him out, and bury him. See what I did there? I've made a position. Instead of the severe threat that they were sent to initiate or to activate, they carry out Ananias and bury him. You can argue with me later about that. Three hours later, Sapphira arrives, Sapphira, expecting that the temple police are implementing the severe threat. The, what were they supposed to do? What was the severe threat? Was it an execution? Instead of seeing the remnants of an execution, she herself is what? Executed. You might expect this, by the way. I get a donut now. It's a theme in Scripture. Haman being the most notable. Anyway, Sapphira is immediately executed upon hearing she has tested the goodness of God. So, Ananias lies directly to God and Sapphira tests God directly. Both are the same. The lie and the test are indistinguishable. They are duplicates. We know the test is given to God to determine if he is a pathological killer. That's why you test God. You are saying that God is a pathological killer that intends to murder everybody he has made. Exodus 16, 3 through 4. So that's the test. If that's the test and the test is a duplicate of the lie, then the lie is what? The lie is that it, it's obvious that the lie is the self-same accusation. So does Ananias know that he is lying? Yes. It's a plot. I have the high priest. I have his family. I have the Sadducees. I have the chief priest. I'm sorry, the uh, the elders, the rulers, the scribes, probably the Pharisees. All the, remember, the point of all of this is to stop Peter from talking like he's talking and to get rid of this lame man. They can't deny the evidence. If you can't deny the evidence, then what are you going to do? i got all this evidence out there. I've got to stop the evidence. Or we're going to lose the Sadducean system. Can't deny it. I get rid of it. Stop Peter from testifying of the resurrection of Christ. Stop the lame man who's no longer lame because why is he no longer lame? What is Peter saying? He's saying, hey, I got the lame man here. He's no longer lame. Do you know why? Why? What did Peter say? He's no longer lame because of something. What? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's right. Got to stop him from saying that. That's bad news if you're an evolutionary monist that says no one exists. Can't have that. Can't have it. The lame man is confirming. He's saying that the resurrection of Christ is true. And what did the Sadducees say? What did the high priest say? When Peter's standing before him and saying, See, I got a lame man here. You guys all know him. He's no longer lame because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true. And the Sadducees said what? We can't deny this. The high priest could do nothing. They had no argument. The healing of the lame man is proof that God resurrected himself. And it's also proof that God offers himself as the means of salvation. It's also proof that God is pure goodness. It is Satan and mankind that are the murderous killers. God is the one who saves by great grace. The lame man is still with Peter. He's with Peter. Think of him with Peter all the time. Tethered together, side by side with boldness, astonishing intelligence and wisdom. Now back to Sapphira. Did she think the temple police would still be there when she got there three hours later? Because they're still there. Peter says to her, Behold, they're still here. And they're going to carry you out. It's not me that's getting executed. It's you. 
and Ananias was executed already, and they're going to carry you next at the precise time. Oh, look, it's time. Now that I've told you that you're trying to test God, just like they did Exodus 16, 3 through 4. And by the way, the instant deaths of Ananias and Sapphira are now in contrast or comparison to the healing of the lame man. What did I say, by the way, again? Gosh, I'm racking up so many donuts. How am I going to eat? I like the filled ones. How old was Ananias and Sapphira? I'm going to tell you, they're 20 to 30. 30 at the max. So when they die like that, that had an impact. I got a captain and his men, and they go, oh my, we're switching sides. That was as great a miracle as they had seen. Maybe they knew that man Maybe they knew he was now dancing around, doing hand flips. Maybe they recognized that these apostles are geniuses. But now they see two dead that are part of some plot, some action to initiate the severe threat. And they recognize what they have seen. Next week, we will try to finish this. Whose fault is it that we're still here? Everybody point at the other Daniel. Good grief, did he sandbag us here, huh? Would you like them to rise before they're dismissed this time? This would be a, this is an unusual thing. Let's rise to be dismissed. <laughs>